Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Dr. Ian Smith. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Dr. Ian Smith is the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, was appointed by President Obama to the President's Council on Fitness, and is a widely recognized TV personality who is currently the medical contributor and co-host of The Rachel Ray Show. We'll discuss a variety of topics in this episode relating to health and lifestyle. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi, I'm Lewis Carr, founder of Waymaker, and today at the Waymaker Fireside Chat, we have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Ian Smith. I guess I could call him a celebrity workout guy, celebrity doctor, just a celebrity. He's been on every talk show on the planet. Dr. Smith, welcome Lewis, to the uh, Waymaker Fireside Chat. Lewis, thank you so much. Please call me Ian, of course, and uh, I'm very happy uh, to join you for this conversation. And I guess, Dr. Ian, I should reveal to our audience that I have the privilege of you being my neighbor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you were there first, so, you know, I followed you into the neighborhood. <laughs> this, this is very exciting, special at a special time in our country when we're dealing with so much from health to uh, racial inequities in this country. So it's a privilege to have you here today. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Ian, you spent most of your career educating and motivating people to eat better, exercise, live a healthier lifestyle. How and why did you choose that path? It's interesting. I don't know if I chose that path versus the path choosing me. I was always planning on being a surgeon, actually. Um, I went through medical school, um, training for surgery. Um, I started doing my residency in orthopedic surgery. But then, you know, the best laid plans. Uh, I started working as a medical journalist when I was doing my internship in the hospital in New York. I started working for NBC News. And um, I also, while I was doing that, started writing for Time Magazine. I had my own column in Time Magazine. And I was a young guy in the city, single, um, not married, and so I had so much free time. And I realized when I was writing my magazine column that so many of my readers, they were asking me questions about weight loss and nutrition and fat burners. I could write an article about you know the flu and my email box would be full of weight loss questions. I write an article about the Tylenol scare way back in the day and my mailbox is full of fat burner questions. So I just said, man, something's out here. And as a, as a physician, a medical student, we had no training whatsoever in nutrition, zero, by the way. And so um, I said, I got to learn this because I felt an obligation to my readers. I felt like they were asking me these important questions and I didn't have the answers to them. And so uh, Random House um, asked me, they sent me an email uh, and said, we love your column. Do you want to write a book? I said, of course, who doesn't want to write a book? And they said, you can choose whatever you want. And so one of my first books was called The Take Control Diet. And the reason why I wrote that book is because I wanted that to be somewhat of a guide to all my readers of my column who had asked me for so many years about nutrition, weight loss, and exercise. So that's how I really got into it. It wasn't by design. It was feeling that I needed to answer um, that question, all those questions so many of my readers actually had. 
So, Dr. Ann, when you were in college, were you going down the path of medicine or journalism? All right. I, I, I interviewed Dr. Batts, uh, who is the first African-American dean of the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. So which path were you going down? Medicine, 100 uh, percent. I always wanted to be a doctor. In fact, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And what happened was when I got into medical school at the University of Chicago, um, I actually met uh, an anchor for NBC in Chicago, a gentleman you may know by the name of Art Norman. And I met him at an evening gala. And my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, who was also at the University of Chicago Law School, we went to this fancy dinner because we were struggling students with no money. And this was a nice free meal. But at this meal, and this is why I tell people all the time, young people particularly, it's so important to network, at this dinner, I saw the guy who I had watched every morning on the morning news as I went to medical school class. And I saw him and I just said to him, I want to be your intern, just like that. And he said, absolutely. Come on down to the station. And I wanted to do that because I was finishing up medical school and I knew it was the last time probably for a long time I'd be able to do something that was not medical related. Because once you enter medical school and then go to the residency, it's years and years. And so I said, let me take this shot. And it happened. And I fell in love with the business of journalism, the art of journalism. And I decided to combine that with my medical degree and experience with journalism. And I became a medical journalist. Wow, that's, that's absolutely amazing. So I know you focused a lot on all communities, but specifically the black community. What are some of the historical barriers to us living a healthy lifestyle? I know there are many, there are many. but what are some of the key historical barriers? Let me give you three. The first is <clears throat> a lack of willingness to acknowledge what is healthy and what is not healthy. And let me explain that a little more. You know, African-Americans are very, we are very proud people. And we do not like people to judge us or to misrepresent us. We love who we are and we should love who we are. We come from a great line of, of resilient survivors. However, that being said, for a long time, I believe we have confused healthiness with aesthetics. And by that, I mean that, you know, the business that we tend to be curvier, we tend to be fuller, bodied, that's an aesthetic thing. And we have to separate that from aesthetic versus health implications. And so one of the barriers has been trying to get African-Americans to realize the desire to get us to lose weight and to reduce our fat and eat healthier is not making a judgment call on your aesthetic, how you look. Rather, it's about trying to reduce your risk for all these diseases that we tend to lead the categories in, heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, you name it, we are leading all these categories. So that's one thing. The second thing obviously is our culinary, culinary history, how we eat. You know, a lot of, we come from the South and the Southern cuisine, which I grew up on by the way, even though I grew up in Connecticut, my grandparents are from the South. And so they cooked that type of, of cuisine. And so we have grown up with a type of cuisine that while it's very tasty, uh, tends not to be very health promoting. And it's very difficult to get people to break away 
from that style of eating. And you compound that, by the way, with lack of financial resources, particularly in urban areas where access to good food is not there. And uh, what people tend to get easily tends to not be very healthy. So that's number two. Number three, I think, is that um, a lack of acknowledgement. You know, <laughs> we're so worried about being cast a certain way or being judged in a certain way, we don't tend to acknowledge kind of where our faults are. And we have to understand that acknowledging where our shortcomings, shortcomings are is an acknowledgement that helps us move forward. It's not to be pejorative or to be negative. It's to help us understand this is where we are. Now we know where we need to go. And so we have to, as African-Americans, have to have a real conversation and acknowledge where we all where we are, where we fall short to give us the inspiration to move forward. Do you think a lot of times, Dr. N, we fall short because we don't know what healthy is or looks like? Wow. That's a wonderful question, by the way. And it's a very eloquent question because the lack of education particularly for African-Americans, I believe, particularly when it comes to health, has been one of the greatest obstacles for us to increase our life longevity, our lifespan, as well as the quality of our lives. Uh, listen, medicine and health can be very difficult. It can be very esoteric, very inside baseball. And so you have to have people who are able to communicate the message. I've been doing this for almost 25 years. I'm just one person. But you need a whole cavalcade of people who are communicating to our people in helping them understand the realities and dispel some of the myths that have plagued us for so long. When you get superstars, celebrities, I won't mention any names, but this has happened recently with COVID. When you get celebrities who are very influential in our communities saying things that are completely ascientific, that are completely wrong from a medical standpoint, but because people look up to them, they listen to their music, they watch their movies, people follow them, that hurts us. And people like myself, I'm not a celebrity like some of these singers and, and actors, and I'm sitting here trying to educate people on the real science. It's very difficult for my voice to be heard versus the voices that really don't have an understanding or a basis in real science. So um, it's, it's the education part is critical for us. We have to be more educated. The other part, by the way, is we need more black doctors. And you know, Dr. Oz and I just had a conversation today uh, he has a campaign, a more a black doctors campaign that I'm working with him on because we need to get more of our people communicating the message. There is something inherently cultural about an African-American physician or nurse or healthcare provider talking to an African-American patient. I'm not saying that white and non-black doctors and medical professionals can't do it, but studies have shown that when people who look like you and talk like you and come from where you come from communicate that message, it's received in a much better way. Well, I know that personally, uh, Dr. N. My mother died at 55. My father died at 59. Wow. And I had a friend who was a physician who basically said, Lewis, it's going to be hard for you to live past 50 unless you make some dramatic transformational changes because you have this history and these genes that if you don't do something dramatic, 
you're going to die even earlier because my grandparents died in their 60s. So now my parents are dying in their 50s. So for me, it was like a wake up call. And I got on a path to determine to sort of break the chain. Mm. That's why when people look at me now, they will always go, you're so skinny. What happened? All of that was just really intentional mm. to sort of break that chain. So yeah. how do we help our community break the chain of these historical challenges? What is your message to sort of help them do that? Well, my message has been consistent since I started doing this, which is I'm honest and open. And sometimes the message is tough to hear. Sometimes people like that was a tough message you received that Lewis, unless you make some dramatic transformations, you're going to die early. That's a tough message. And Ed, it was so tough. His, his wife was angry at him saying, you're a doctor. How do you just say that so coldly to him? That's right. That's right. And, and if the message is not spoken in the right way from the right source, it could be a problem. And so the first thing that we need to do to solve this is to get not just the Dr. Ian's of the world, we need to get many communicators from different backgrounds to be able to try to communicate real, scientifically credible messages to our people. We have to educate. Uh, it, that's just where it starts, Lewis. If we don't explain things to people and break it down, what is high blood pressure? Why do these foods contribute to high blood pressure? They're not going to understand, like I understand the physiology and all that kind of stuff. I'm not expecting that, but they need to be able to understand the basic causal relationship between what we eat and how we behave and decisions we make and the impact on our health. So the first thing is education and not just from doctors but from people who have influence, influencers need to be able to do this. The second thing, Lewis, is that we have to really concentrate on making access to good healthcare available to our people. So many of our people, unfortunately, for all kinds of reasons, just don't get access to quality care. They get access to some care, but that care is not quality. People are people who are, are under-resourced and don't have money, should walk into a health clinic uh, in, in any urban environment and get the same level of care and experience that someone who walks into a clinic and an affluent and more posh area. And unfortunately that doesn't happen. And so the interface that our people have with the medical community and the health community, unfortunately that interface is not a good interface. And therefore that mars the experience and how someone's gonna receive the message, right? If you walk into a clinic and the security guard or the receptionist is rude, popping their gum, not paying attention to you, that's not a good experience, right? And so how we interface with the system has to change. And the last thing I would say about how we resolve this is we have to do a better job with our kids. We have to start earlier, right? We can't wait until our kids are in college or getting ready to graduate from high school we got to start talking about farm to table uh, right in the beginning when kids are five and six and teach them these things. Because, Lewis, a lot of times studies have shown that kids are the ones who bring the message back home to the family. And so I think we need to make a better, more concerted effort of educating our children. So, Dr. N, COVID-19 has sort of ravaged our community. 
And we, we read things that the underlining conditions that we have is sort of have affected that. But it's also our information, our, our, our lifestyle. How would you address people right now uh, as we know we have low vaccine rates in our community, how would you address the people who have not made the decision to get the vaccine? And I know that's a tough one. Lewis, as a medical professional, as a scientist, as a humanitarian, how our people and others, let's talk about our people, how our people have behaved and made decisions during this pandemic has been one of the most disheartening periods of my life, professional life. Because it, my grandfather used to say, if I tell you that that building is on fire, if you decide to walk into that building, you're gonna get burned. It's very difficult when you know a building is on fire and you are screaming and yelling to the top of your lungs, this building's on fire, don't go in it. And you constantly see a line of people, for whatever reason, deciding they're gonna go into that building. That's what's happened with COVID-19 as it relates to African-Americans. We have an under, we have a, uh, we have a mistrust, understandably, by the way, with the medical community for some of the experiments that have happened in the past. Everyone knows it, they get it, I understand it, no doubt about it, so it's fair. But there's a difference between having skepticism and some mistrust versus being vulnerable to complete mythical creations, lies, misperceptions, and being deceived. Those are two very different things. And unfortunately, here we are, we are the most vulnerable to this virus because of our underlying conditions that I mentioned before, we're the most vulnerable, therefore we need vaccines the most, and we need masks and social distancing and all types of mitigating factors the most, and yet here we are with all range of reasons of why we shouldn't do it. And it's very frustrating, Lewis, it, it, it hurts me. Um, the number of our brothers and sisters who are in the ground unnecessarily uh, is ridiculous. And then you turn around and to be very honest with you, you hear, you know, some celebrities, some singers recently speaking against the vaccine. I mean, you know, I'm not an electrician. Okay, Dr. Ian Smith is not an electrician. You do not want to listen to me about, you know, how to fix the wiring in your house. That's just not what I do. I mean, I can say what I want to say, but I'm not a reliable source. And to have as many people as we've had during this pandemic who are not medical professionals, who don't know a thing about science, to or virology, the study of viruses, to stand up and make the statements they've made has been so infuriating, literally infuriating. And, and history is going to look back at this time and history is going to call it like it is, which is that a lot of people have misled and sent people to their graves unnecessarily. Wow, uh, Dr. Ann, I have a, another friend uh, uh, that I think you know, Dr. Courtney Hollowell, and I always tell him, Oh, you clearly can do what I do. I know you can do what I do, but I can't even think about doing what you do, all right? <laughs> so to your point of getting the right source of information from the right people, you are 
dead on it. You've got a new book out. Book out that's doing extremely well. Tell us about that new book. Yeah, so my most recent book is called Fast Burn, The Power of Negative Energy Balance. And basically it's a nine week program that is, I wrote this book, it's my 20th book, so I wanna do something special. I wrote this book based on all the reasons why people say they can't follow a plan. So there's alcohol in the program, there's meat in the program, there's pasta, there's pizza, there's pancakes. So you're not deprived of all these foods that you tend to miss when you're on a program. But what I do is I introduce those foods in a way, in a healthier way, so you still have the taste, but you're not over-consuming and they're not high in calories. And in nine weeks, people lose on average about 20 pounds. Um, and it has some intermittent fasting in there, which is the, all the rage. And people really love the program. Of all my books, Lewis, people say that this is the easiest plan that I've built because it's so realistic. It's foods accessible. You don't need to belong to a gym. There's a whole chapter on at-home exercise you can do without any equipment. So Fast Burn is a program that has helped lots of people and uh, people like it. Tell people how they can get it. Yeah. So anywhere, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart.com. It's, it's everywhere. And I think if you can't get it, if you can't buy it, go to your local library and get it for free. I just want people to have it. You don't have to buy the book. Go to your library and get it. That's great. So speaking of books, you said you wrote 20? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Number 20. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story, Doctor. And I, I met a guy by the name of Harvey McKay. Okay. Who wrote Swimming with the Sharks, uh -huh. right? Well-known book. And he asked me when I met him, we were sitting next to each other on a plane. He said, when are you going to write your book? And I'm like, why would you think I would write a book? He said, because every living person has at least one book in them. As an <laughs> author, what do you think about that statement? Is that true or false? It's interesting you just say that. I just finished reading uh, a critique from someone and they said just the opposite. They said, everyone thinks that they have a book in them, but it's absolutely not true. Uh, I just okay. read this review. Now, this is what I think though. I think what he probably may have been trying to convey is all of us in some way or fashion have an interesting story that could make a book. Whether or not you could write it, whether or not you have the patience to get it out, that's a whole different ballgame. But you have a book in you in the sense of we all have unique stories and and someone's going to find that story interesting. So I believe there are a lot of people that have books in them and simply don't believe that they do or, or are afraid of the process of writing because it can be rigorous. And so I think that a lot of great stories, unfortunately, are not shared because people are not able to overcome those obstacles. Dr. N, we here at Waymaker believe that every successful person has had a Waymaker in their life. You clearly have been extremely successful. Tell us about some of the Waymakers in your life. Well, you know, my family is the first. You know, my grandfather and grandmother and my mother. I, I grew up without a father. My mother was my mother and my father. Uh, but my grandparents and mother really, really, really set the table for me. Um, I am the man who I am today because of them. It's that simple. Watching them work hard, sacrifice, be resilient, uh, fail and, and, and get back up. Just 
experiencing that as a child. I wouldn't trade. I didn't have a very wealthy from a financial standpoint childhood, but I was wealthy in lessons. We were wealthy in lessons and love and, and hard work. And so that they're my first way makers. Um, and then I have to say, you know, along the way, it's interesting. Along the way, you meet people who just make a difference in your life. Art Norman, the anchor from NBC in Chicago, who allowed me to become his intern. Paula Madison, uh, who at one point was the highest ranking African-American person in news, hired me at NBC in New York. Here I was, never had a job in my life. It's the number one market. She hires me. She made a way. So there are so many people along the way, Lewis, who believed in me, encouraged me, inspired me, which is why it's so important for me to do the same thing, because we stand on the shoulders of those who come before us, many that we will never meet or know the names of. And I think that that is the great legacy of Black people, um, is that we've always believed that the next generation should have it easier than our generation and have it better. And I think that's part of what being a waymaker is, making a way for others uh, to, to pursue and reach their dreams. What's the best advice anyone has ever given you professionally, Dr. Ian? Hmm. Well, when I was young um, and, getting, and getting into this game, someone said to me that no matter what you decide to do in your career, make sure you understand your projects and your endeavors from the bottom up and the top down. And what they were trying to tell me was, even if you're high up, you need to understand what the, the work and how to do the work of those who may be lower on the totem pole. And that has served me so well in my life, Lewis career, because I am very curious by nature, but all the things that I do, whether it's writing, whether it's doing campaigns, PR, I know how to do all of it from the beginning because I do it. And people will say to me, when I first started writing books and promoting books, I was booked, I didn't have a PR agent. I was booking myself on TV shows and radio shows. So I understood how do you put together a pitch? How do you sell the idea to a station? So when I, you know, got bigger and bigger and I, I needed to hire people to do that, I now understood what they needed to do. And I could tell if they were doing a good job or a bad job, you know, I understood it. And so that has served me well in my career is understanding, as they say, from soup to nuts, understanding how it works at all levels. When you have that kind of knowledge, I think that makes a big difference and it allows you to be more productive and more insightful. Dr. Ian, I had uh, the privilege of interviewing a world-class athlete not so long ago. And I asked him, how did he stay motivated during COVID and all of these other barriers and obstacles? And he looked at me with a straight face and he said, I don't. He said, I'm just disciplined. Mm. I'm not always motivated. Mm. What do you think about that statement? I think that statement is absolutely fantastic. It's fantastic because there's so much in that statement. You know, I am a very motivated person, naturally. I'm motivated by lots of things, by the way. Small things motivate me. But what he said is so important because I'm also a very disciplined person. And 
Uh, I get that from my family, my waymakers, but I also get it from sports. I'm a big sportsman where I, where the rigors of discipline are so critical. I teach my kids this. And so what he's saying is that sometimes you're sad, you're not feeling up to it. You're just not in the mood. So you don't have the motivation to do it, but you have the discipline that says it's got to get done. And that's critical. And so I would think, I love that. And I'm going to use that if you don't mind, but I would say to people that it's the combination of discipline and motivation that helps you achieve most of what you want in life. Because if it's like an engine with, it's like a plane with two engines. If one engine fails, the other engine can still carry it. And that's what motivation and discipline do for you. So I think that is absolutely a very insightful um, and eloquent way of saying kind of what it is that keeps him going. I, I would have to say the same for me. Uh, Dr. N, as, as we kind of come to a close, uh, what you have been doing is more important now than ever before. Uh, as we struggle through this process of keeping our health together, give our audience the top five things they can do to get started. Mm. Not to get it done, just to get started because it's just like any workout. You just got to get there. All right. So what are those things that people can do to get started today? The first thing anybody should do is to sit down and have a conversation with yourself. Number one, it all starts above the neck and between the ears. It starts in your head. Being on safari in Kenya, I keep telling people it was life-changing because here you are out in the vast you know, savanna of Africa with wild animals around you. No kind of, you know, advanced technology, you're just out in the bush. And what that allows you to do, Lewis, is it gives you perspective. And I think that what we have to start with, number one, is gaining a perspective about our lives, where we've been, where we want to go. If we have that conversation, and it's got to be an honest conversation too, by the way. If you have that honest conversation first, then you can proceed to the next four items. So after that conversation, then the second thing is how do you put together a strategy? People don't understand how to set goals, Lewis. And you, as a business person, you know the whole idea about smart goals. People don't set goals properly. And I think that's a big reason why people don't succeed is because they don't have the right goals. So making the right goals, both short-term and long-term, I think is the next thing that you got to do. Number three, now you have to devise a strategy. Either you have to devise a strategy, find a strategy, or get someone to help you develop a strategy, but you have to have a strategy. People say, hey, Dr. Ian, I want to lose 30 pounds. Okay, I'm good with that. Uh, I'm going to start eating better and exercising. Okay, but what's your real strategy, though? That's not a strategy. <laughs> That's a concept. And so people have to have real specific strategies about how they are going to reach those good goals, those smart goals that they set. Number four, you have to figure out what your priorities are. And this sounds cliche, but you can't attack everything at once. You have to really decide what is most important and give it really some kind of rating. And when you get that priorities, that kind of gives you a guidance of where you need to focus and when you need to focus on those different items. So the fourth thing is your priority. So I say to people, hey, list five to 10 things and, and literally try to put them in order. 
and the last thing I would say is that one of the best things I think people can do is to surround themselves with good people and good support. Find other people who are successful, who are positive. Studies have shown, by the way, that positive, a positive attitude can be contagious. Good habits can be contagious. Find people who are positive, who are, are moving forward in their life and associate more with them rather than people who are, aren't happy, who aren't optimistic, who see things, always see the glass uh, as, as, as being you know, half empty. And so I think that with those five things, that those things in order can get people on the right path to try to reach some of their goals. Well, Dr. Ann, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for informing and educating our audience. Uh, you do it every day for a living. We thank you for that. That in itself is being a waymaker. So we appreciate that. And we look forward to many, many more conversations with our Waymaker community. This ain't the last time they're gonna hear from you. <laughs> well, Louis, thank you for inviting me and thank you for doing this, by the way. I know, you know, we all do things in our own sphere and we often don't get credit for it, but something like this is gonna change. If it just changes one person's life, to me, it makes a big difference. And, and you doing this and talking to people and, and getting wisdoms from people is gonna change a lot of lives. So I appreciate that. Dr. M, before we leave, tell people how they can stay in touch with you because a lot of people are gonna to wanna to follow you and get advice from you on social media and all that. So tell people how they can stay in touch with you. Absolutely, Instagram is at Dr. Ian Smith, spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. And my Twitter is Dr. Ian, I-A-N Smith. So Dr. Ian Smith on Twitter, spell the doctor out on Instagram and you know, send me a DM. I try to keep up with everyone who sends me a message. All right, thank you so much. Much love to you, Lewis. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Dr. Ian Smith. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. Remember, you can connect with Dr. Ian Smith by going to drian.smith.com. Don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.